Well, hey there, everyone. Thanks so much for having me back at Courtright for today's service. Uh, I'm really excited to be joining you virtually from my daughter's bedroom. And as your summer continues into mid-August and your series on the Psalms begins to wind down, I'd like to just share for a few minutes about a Psalm that I think is important when considering where the church is headed in the next few years. Uh, but first, as I always like to do, if you're new either to Courtright or to just church in general this morning, I want to give you a quick overview of where we are in the Bible when we're studying it today. So today we'll be reading out of our Bibles, which is divided into two parts called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in case you don't know or forgot, Bible itself just means book of books. So the Bible isn't one big book. It's actually 66 books bound together that tell God's story from when he first created the world and humankind to when he came to earth as a person to live among us. Okay, so the word testament means promise or covenant. And so our Bible is divided into two parts that give us the history and the story of each of these promises. The Old Testament or promise is between God and a man named Abraham. God promises Abraham that from him will come a nation and eventually a savior who will liberate all people from their sin. That nation, of course, is Israel, and the person is Jesus. And once Jesus is born, that promise is fulfilled, which is why we call it the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, or promise, is between Jesus and mankind, where he says to us that he will go to heaven and prepare a place for us and then come back and bring us there. And we're still waiting on this one, uh, so it's a promise that's not yet fulfilled, but I think it's safe to say that if God comes to earth in the form of a man, is murdered by a fearful and angry group of people, comes back to life three days later, and then ascends to heaven right in front of that group of people, that we can take promise number two to the bank. The book of Psalms, the book that Courtright has been looking through this summer, is found in the Old Testament, and it's the longest book in your Bible. It's what some people call a book of praise, and it's full of writing and poetry that gives praise and glory to God, with many of them intended to be set to music. There's also tons of wisdom and history in the Psalms. It's actually a really great book to be going through this summer. I, I would bet that you guys are having a great time doing that. So today we're gonna, like, uh, we're gonna take a look at the beginning parts of Psalm 78. Uh, and although we're not exactly sure who wrote this Psalm, I think its impact is pretty fat powerful nonetheless. Uh, a little context into why this was my choice. I've been in youth ministry for about 15 years, and for the last three, I've been working with Presbyterian churches in the Waterloo-Wellington area on next-generation engagement. And through this, I've had the opportunity to work with Rowena and Allison and Alex, as well as other next-generation leaders from around our area. And next-generation leadership is sometimes tough because... Not everybody wants to do it. There are plenty of people that think it's important, but there's this idea that only a select few are called to reaching the next generation with the message of Jesus. And as I'm sure you can predict, I'm going to try to take the next few minutes and turn you around on that and hope to guide your thinking in a different way. So Psalm 78 begins like this. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. 
This psalm starts with the author pleading for people to listen because he knows what he is about to say is really important. He knows it's the truth. He knows it's from God. So people need to pay attention. The parable is a story, sometimes true, sometimes not, that is intended to teach and tell a story and give a lesson and leave people thinking for more. And finally, he says that he's going to utter hidden things of old, things our ancestors have told us. And here is the beginning of the exciting part. He's about to tell us a story from our ancestors and tell us why it's so important. Verses 4 to 8 is kind of where we're going to spend most of our time today, but I wanted to make sure I didn't leave this beginning part out because he's about to tell a story of how things that were heard and known got shared. Things that they know were true. Things that they know matter. Just before the author tells the stories, which actually we're not going to get into today, uh, it's a long psalm and we would be here for a couple of hours, he says this in verse 4. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And now we're right in my wheelhouse. This is where I start to get excited. The psalmist here is pleading with the audience, please don't forget the next generation. We must not hide from them the things we know. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot forget or avoid telling them our history and where we come from and the greatness of God. And we can't stop there. It's not just for the next generation. The author says, even the children yet to be born. He's saying as followers of God, we need to not only be thinking about how we are interacting with God and how our children are interacting with God, but how the generation that hasn't even arrived yet will interact with God. Because why? Verse 7, so that they would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds. And not only that, but also so that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirit was not faithful. The author says we need to spend some time talking to the next generation about God so they can have a better relationship with him than we had. Can I ask you something? For those who are Christians listening this morning, doesn't it sometimes feel like this generation has forgotten the good deeds of God. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you're listening to this, can I ask you a question too? Do you know the good deeds of God or do you just know the deeds of God's people? I'm going to pause for about 30 seconds and let you think about that or talk about it with the person that you're with in the room and then I'll come back and we'll keep going.
Now that you've thought about those questions, I want you to consider this. As adults, as parents, as grandparents, if you happen to be one, there seems to be something that we often hope for. We want the next generation to have it better than we did or than we do. To make life a little better for the ones that are coming along next. And the author of this psalm wants that too, for life with God to be better than it was for the generation before. And just for a little context and maybe motivation, we are really at a turning point in this area in the church. About half of Canadians would now consider themselves non-religiously affiliated, up from 3% just about 40 years ago. So that means that in just over 40 years, half of our country has turned away from God. And not surprisingly, this is going to lead to the closing of about 10,000 churches in Canada over the next 10 years. Now, when I think about what Psalm 78 says and the idea of why it was written, I would think it was probably made to avoid this situation, but here we are now, so we need to talk about how to reconnect with God and the people of this generation and the next and the next. So when Pastor Alex asked me to share this week, he asked if I might briefly give my thoughts on where I think the church is today and its future and how we need to make sure the next generation is involved. So if you'll give me uh, just a few more minutes, I'd love to share just a couple of things I've observed in my time in Next Generation Ministry, both inside and outside the Presbyterian Church, and how this is directly connected to what we're seeing today, which is a generational sprint away from faith. So here are three thoughts on Next Generation Ministry uh, and why I think this psalmist has it so right that now more than ever, we need to be intentional about reaching the next generation with the good deeds and news and message of God. So here's observation number one. Christianity isn't cultural anymore. There was a time when it was weird that you didn't go to church. When stores were closed on Sundays, remember that? When everyone knew who Jesus really was and what Easter was actually all about. And part of that is because the majority of our country had faith in God. And at some point, we stopped being as intentional about making sure the message of God got handed down because we expected that it would happen because it was cultural. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. Going to church became something that you did because your parents made you or because it was culturally acceptable. It's just what you did. And for most of Generation X, or those that I've talked to, that's those born between 1965 and 80, the church and Sunday school was a lot more about their deeds than God's deeds. In other words, God's deeds got overshadowed by our deeds. Hmm. Now, the psalmist says here that we need to make sure that the next generation knows the good deeds of the Lord. And I think that perhaps maybe an entire generation ran from faith in part because faith became a lot more about what they were and weren't doing than what God had done and was doing in the lives of them and the people around them. So if you remember our questions from a minute ago, uh, do you feel like people have forgotten the good deeds of God? Or perhaps maybe people never knew what they were. Those good questions to think about. Observation number two uh, it's not exclusively the lead minister or pastor or CE director 
or youth minister or young adults pastor's job to spiritually feed and grow the next generation. Now, at some point, and if you study and read, it's somewhere around the 70s and the 80s, we started to outsource spiritual formation to the next generation, to the clergy in the church. And we even hired new ones to make sure we could do it, right? Got a teenager? We'll get a youth pastor. Got a kid? We'll send them to Sunday school. Church is where your faith is built. That's the, clergy, that's the church's job. That's the clergy's job. And because of that, many families actually stopped spiritual formation at home. They didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't malicious, but it happened. And because of that, spiritual formation only happened for about 45 minutes a week. Because of that, we expected people to develop habits that should last 168 hours per week while investing less than one. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to eat pizza for 167 hours a week and then get on a treadmill for an hour per week, it wouldn't make any difference in my lifestyle at all. Not only that, it's likely that I would probably start to resent the treadmill because every time I got on it, it would get harder. And eventually, I would likely just get rid of the treadmill and I would just keep eating pizza during that time because that's what I was really committed to and wanted to do anyways. And that is Mike's example of a parable. So, if we want the next generation to learn and to know and to not forget the good deeds of God, it's not actually going to start at church. It's going to start at home. And pastors and ministry leaders, we're equipped and eager to lead your kids, but we also know that if you aren't involved, then it's not going to make nearly the difference that it could. And it's up to everyone, all of us together, even those who don't feel like maybe kids' ministry is what they're called to, to share the good news of Jesus to every generation. Observation three, uh, bringing the gospel to the next generation means recalling the, the past, but not necessarily reliving it. Oh, I mean, what a time we're living in right now, right? COVID has shut down the world, and it's not coming back in the way or in the timing that we don't like. Uh, so many churches are just waiting to get back to normal, but the ones that I think that are going to make the real inroads with the next generation are treating this time as a time to re-examine and reimagine everything they're doing with the mission of the church in mind. To make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, or as this psalmist puts it, to not forget the good deeds of God. Our church has had many methods over the years, from different music styles and revivals and conventions, preaching methods, children's ministry, but here's the rub, when you focus too much on the method or the way that you do ministry, we forget the mission, which is what Psalm 78 is all about. Making sure that people know the good deeds of God. So the challenge during this time is this. Make sure that you're mission-minded first. Make sure that God's deeds don't get overshadowed by your deeds. Thanks so much for listening to me for a few minutes this morning. Uh, if you ever want to follow up with me or ask any questions, I love to talk to people. Please don't hesitate to contact me on social media or get my information through the office. Let's all together make sure that the next generation doesn't forget the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. 
that they don't forget his power and his wonders, and that they would put their faith in him. And let's take the responsibility of that on ourselves. Thanks and have a great morning.